welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. Now, let's jump into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Novik Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ovori. Today, we are talking with arguably the OG in the Web3 gaming space, the company that blazed a trail and cleared the path for so many other gaming studios to raise funding and point to a clear vision for what is possible when incorporating blockchain technologies into a game design and, in fact, kickstarting an entire ecosystem. We are, of course, talking about Sky Mavis, the Vietnam-based company behind Axie Infinity, the biggest Web3 game out there, and the catalyst for so many of us Web2 game devs who dove headfirst into Web3 to explore what's possible. And yes, we will, of course, acknowledge that Axia has declined from its peak DAU of approximately 2.8 million back in Jan 2022 at the height of the crypto bull run to about 400,000 today. But that's still a really big number. <laughs> Just about any Web3 and even Web2 gaming studio would you know, be proud of those numbers and shout from the rooftops with those kinds of stats. And just because Axie's runway growth, uh, runaway growth has stalled a little bit, that does not mean that the team is not working incredibly hard on continuing to grow the game, invest further into their Ronin sidechain infrastructure, and now they're announcing their first Genesis batch of third-party game developers that are building on Ronin. So a lot of exciting developments here uh, for the entire ecosystem. Uh, on March 30th, Sky Mavis announced the Ronin blockchain's upgrade to delegated proof-of-stake, or DPoS. In addition to introducing the Genesis batch that I just mentioned of game studios that will be building and launching games on Ronin, they are Directive Games, Tribes, Bali Games, and Bold.io. And we'll get into all of that later, and we'll have all links to all of them in the show notes, as always. And our guest here today uh, is going to tell us a lot more about these moves. What does delegated proof of stake mean uh, for Sky Mavis, for Axie Infinity, and the Ronin sidechain? Why would game devs want to be building on Ronin? and lots of other things in between as well about the Web3 ecosystem and the future of Axia. Our guest today is Kathleen Osgood. She is the Director of Business Development at Sky Mavis, and it is a thrill to have you here. Kathleen, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I just wanted to say thank you in general for creating this podcast. My uh, background traditionally is I've been in crypto since 2015, where I started a uh, blockchain business ecosystem in Chicago with physical co-working spaces. And I most recently was at Jump where I was on the investment team as well as uh, on the setting up our operating platform. And while my history is in crypto and uh, uh, Web3, I am relatively new to gaming. And listening to your podcast when I start off at Sky Mavis, it really helped me dive into all the little crooks and crannies and really get my feet off the ground. So I just genuinely want to say thank you for doing what you do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, there, there's a whole massive team behind the Navic Gaming Podcast <laughs> and the Navic Ecosystem. So any listeners that are curious about gaming, Web3, the podcast, a lot of the research work that uh, Navic does as well, there's a lot uh, under the hood. It's kind of like an iceberg, you know, 10% there's above a lot. the surface, 90% below the surface. Well, listen, Kathleen, it's so great to have you here. Um, and we're going to dive right into the episode here. Uh, the very first thing I want to talk about is, of course, uh, delegated proof of stake. 
Um, can you tell our listeners more about, you know, why SkyMavis doing this? Why are you moving to delegated proof of stake from uh, what is kind of your air quotes more traditional proof of stake model? And I believe Ronin was was based um, on the proof of stake model up until this point. Uh, what does DPOS mean to you, and and why are you moving in this direction? Yes. Yeah, so the DPOS upgrade it enables Ronin to be owned by more players more than ever. What does this do? Uh, it effectively decentralizes the network and it moves SkyMavis in the direction that we've always envisioned, which is more decentralized. Uh, becoming more decentralized, it's something that's super important to the integrity and the health and the safety of the whole ecosystem at large. So with the upgraded DPoS, we're opening up our infrastructure and our technology to the wider Web3 world. And we believe this is the path towards creating gaming that's community-centric, more rewarding, and above all, it's more fun. Um, I like to group it the benefits into three separate buckets. So for developers, DPoS marks a developer-friendly shift by enabling them to run a node on a testnet and then deploy their smart contracts. For the community... Uh, this upgrade enables anyone to run a validator candidate and allows RON holders to stake their tokens through a validator. Uh, and this ensures the security of the network. It also means that everyone will now have a way to earn and share in Ronin's success. Uh, as you know, Ronin, it, it's very early in its infancy. It was created to scale the game that has grown the fastest in the history of all games. Uh, so when you look at what we did in combination with a, a adding in this new technology and a blockchain, um, it's pretty substantial. And so what happened when we hit that hit that method or that uh, substantial DAU? We had to shift over and we had to build our own blockchain and infrastructure. So that's what happened with Ronin. Um, and it, again, it's very new. No games have been announced on it. It's barely on any exchanges. And so by making the shift to DPoS, uh, we really enable users to a way to earn and then share in Ronin's success from the get-go, like from this you know, almost genesis point. Kathleen, thank you for that very uh, detailed answer. There's a lot I want to dig into there. Um, I'm yes. actually going to read, I know you touched on this, but I'm just going to read it because this is um, directly from your, your press release uh, talking about um, delegated proof of stake. And I'm going to kind of do some follow-ups um, based on what you just said there as well. So okay. here's the quote from the, um, the press release and say, the upgrade to DPoS, delegated proof of stake, marks the next step toward decentralization for Ronin. Now, anyone with a minimum of 250K Ron can become a validator and take part in block production. At the same time, any Ron holder can stake their tokens and participate in validator selection. The selected validators then share a part of their rewards with the delegators, the users who stake their tokens. Ron staking opens on March 30th, with the rewards starting on April 12th. So that's basically what you just said. That's from the press release. That's yeah. still a mouthful right there. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I want to dive, dive into kind of what this is really mean in practice. I know you've okay. talked about some of the benefits, um, mm -hmm. but... I want to get into the kind of the practice and the nitty gritty. How many new validators and or delegators are you expecting to see as a result mm -hmm. of this move? What are the practical implications of having more validators and delegators? You, you've touched on some of the benefits, but what does it mean in practice? And then mm -hmm. I do want to ask about the rewards. Um, you know, so how much, just for our, our listeners, how much is 250K Ron? Like, is that a big amount or a small amount? And then the rewards from actually staking you're on, like how attractive are those? So I know there's a lot of questions in there, um, mm -hmm. but I, I really want to get into the nitty gritty of like, what does this mean in practice? What do you expect to happen as a result of these announcements? Got it. 
Yeah, those are quite a few questions. Um, maybe if I could simplify it a little bit. So generally staking on Ronin means that you're delegating your tokens to one of the block producing validators or one of the validator candidates. And then these stakers earn rewards if the validator that they're staking with is part of the 22 block producers. So as a user, you you are the one that has to determine who you believe in most and then stake your tokens accordingly. Um, like a good validator will, as an example, have an extremely high uptime percentage and be known in the community. Um, in terms of the rewards, that is that essentially is determined based upon these validators and what they want to share. Um, we are releasing a video from uh, when we announce these game studios and the delegated proof of stake. We're announcing a step-by-step video that Alex, our co-founder, has that goes through exactly what all of these key pieces mean in more detail in terms of um, what the rewards look like and how to select a validator and kind of what that shift looks like uh, between the different validator candidates. So I would definitely advise, we can probably link them in the show notes here, but I advise to go and look at those. But ultimately, that is the, the, the key component of it. And in terms of the, the attractiveness of the rewards, um, mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about that. Is that changing from what it was in the past, you know, proof of authority? Uh, I had a proof of stake. I apparently can't believe everything you read on the internet. Who, who knew? <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the you know the the rewards that are actually you know accruing to validators and delegators. Um, do you see those as being particularly attractive, or is that changing based on what you have now versus what you're going to be doing in the future? So it really depends on what you think is a is an appropriate number. But if you look back at the community and uh, their reaction to our percent, p- a potential percentage announcement, um, they're they're divided. But I think we'll be able to see a reaction once those numbers really come into fruition, and you and you can see the variety of it. Awesome! Yeah, I'd be interested to have you back uh, at some point once we've seen this rollout <laughs> and see, see what happens in terms of how how this plays out. So, uh, very curious yeah. to to see. Um, see, see what, what that looks like. Okay. Well, let's switch gears to, to security. Uh, you alluded to the fact that we're going to talk about this. Uh, you know, I think, uh, we'd be intellectually dishonest if we didn't, uh, call out the fact that, you know, there was that $650 million Ronin bridge hack, uh, almost exactly a year ago now, actually, I I looked it up and it was March. As the day where we're recording. Yeah. Yeah. As of the day we're recording, literally it's almost exactly a year, the anniversary. Uh, so even though it's a year ago, it's, it's still very fresh in our minds. It was one of the biggest uh, hacks of any kind, whether it be, you know, in crypto blockchain or, or, you know, a, a heist of great art from, you know, the Louvre or something like that. Uh, obviously a huge deal. Um, and my question to you here is, firstly, how much did that hack play into the delegated proof of stake approach? When did you actually mm-hmm. start work on this DPOS uh, project? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, would DPOS have mitigated the risk of a phishing or a social engineering attack, mm-hmm. which of course the Ronin Bridge, Bridge hack was. Uh, I believe it was. Uh, there were nine validators at the time on the network. Five were compromised, mm-hmm. uh, so it was only you know literally you can count them on one hand. A uh, number of human beings that had to be uh, hacked uh, mm-hmm. in order to actually get access to the network keys. So, does DPoS mitigate this? And was DPoS a response to this? Ronin Bridge Hacker, or were you already working on a more secure version um, internally? Mm-hmm. I 
The question on whether or not it was a response to this hack or not, I I don't closely work with the engineering team. That is something that I actually would like to know. I know we've been working on it for a very long time, but since the hack, security has become our number one focus. At this company, we have been heads down. We want to be one of the most secure companies in gaming moving forward. And the hack surely was the catalyst towards this happening. We are pioneers in a new space. I always describe it as, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're in a new territory. We're going and we're cutting down trees and we're, we're foraging and we're trying to carve ourselves a piece of this new land. And we were attacked. Like we didn't see a bear coming, but now we can prepare for that and we can tell others, this is how exactly you prepare for that. And so when I joined a year ago, it was nearly just two weeks before we were hacked um, my main job here is to bring in game studios to build on Ronin. So I, at first, I it was really hard for me to wrap my head around, like, how am I going to make this happen? And, you know, once the dust that settled about a couple weeks after, I realized that it actually, it was a blessing in disguise because it made us stronger. And now in turn, it'll make our game studios that we work with just as strong. We know we know what to look out for. Granted, it's still a entirely new industry and you have no idea what's around the corner, but now we can prepare. You know, now we've made the shift to DPOS, which which absolutely uh, is is to help um, kind of mitigate these risks. As you mentioned, it was a socially engineered um, attack rather than a technical vulnerability. Uh, it was swiftly addressed. The users were made whole. Now we've done a full audit of internal security processes since then. And uh, when it comes down to it, we're battle tested. And I think that is one of the number one selling points of working with us. Now you see we have validator partners like Google Cloud. Um, we do have a long-term validator goal of over 100. At the time of the security breach, Sky Mavis had nine validator nodes. Now we've increased it to 18, again, which includes Google, and we're trying to get that, to that 100 number. Um, but yeah, we've also upgraded the bridge smart contracts to allow for circuit breaker events, i.e. Like applying withdrawal uh, limits within um, different withdrawal limits. And we've also upgraded the governance models to require voting by the validators, um, making Ronin network much more decentralized. So, yes, we've hardened all of uh, SkyMavis security measures, uh, ultimately to build a strong and proactive security team um, to secure our own infrastructure and then to advise the other validators. So this includes on-chain monitoring and setting up for a product security team that analyzes service areas for attacks uh, on the apps in our ecosystem. Um, yeah, it. I when I do talk to my game studios, it's something that I touch on almost immediately off the bat when I am having an initial introduction with a game studio that possibly wants to build on Ronin. Because in my opinion, uh, what we have done to mitigate this risk in the future moving forward in combination with how the team handled it, both internally and externally, was really impressive. It made me really proud to be on this team. And it should make the game studios, which they will share, uh, proud to be working with us. Because lessons and experience... That is invaluable. Working with someone that has been in the trenches of this and now can be aware of, of what possibly could to come is to come and take steps to mitigate that 
that's invaluable information. Perfect segue uh, to talk more about the actual game devs that you're working with now. Uh, you've got your Genesis batch of four studios that you're working with. Um, they're going to be building on Ronin. You've talked a lot about why you, your battle tested and battle you know scars are going to make this stronger and it's going to be a better mm -hmm. experience for game developers. But let's ask the foundational question here. Why are you inviting game developers to build on Ronin? Uh, what is the thought process behind bringing them into the mix? Uh, why not just stay focused on being a first-party developer? Uh, what are you doing to support these game devs, and how are you choosing them uh, to be part of this program? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when you take a look at what Axie Infinity did, uh, we built a lot of infrastructure. So the reason that we are now bringing on more game developers is because not only do we have the learnings of building the first game within this new industry, an explosive game that brought on the most Web3 users out of any other game, we have mass amounts of infrastructure to leverage. So we touched on Ronin, the blockchain itself, which at one point we scaled to over 2.5 million daily active users. We have a wallet that we've been expanding. Um, we have our DEX, which is Katana. We have all of these different assets, uh, NFT, different types of NFT and Web3 assets, which I'll touch a little later on that in compromise our Axie core is what we're calling it, which allow other game developers to use Axie IP, uh, Axie assets, uh, Axie lore, and expand the Axie world. And we also have so many learnings from doing this. Uh, and not only that, but we have the biggest community in Web3 Gaming. We have a creator program of over 2,500 creators that are, they have created so much content for Axie. They are dying to create more content for Ronin-based games. Um, and our community is powerful. Like I mentioned before, they've been through a lot with us. You know, there have been ups, there have been downs, and they're still here. Some of them even have tattoos. You know, we went to AxiCon in Barcelona, and there were thousands of people there. You know, there's esports tournaments. People were crying. It was like this big reunion of, of folks. And the reason Axie was so successful, in my opinion, because it was the first time that individuals could own their game assets in a really unique way and also be invested in the open market. So what did these people do? They gave back. They felt a sense of belonging and ownership, so they gave back. They created DAOs. They created guilds. They created podcasts, content, music videos, art, infrastructure, analytics. And because they gave back, that's what that massive explosion, that's where that happened within our community. And they also leveraged their networks. And so what we did... I really believe is rooted in the ethos of reciprocity, which I kind of mentioned that word earlier, but I'm going to say it probably a million times again. We enabled the community. We gave them the sense of ownership and they gave back. And so we really want to continue that relationship with our community and offer it offer that exposure to community and more users to other games. So we have the infrastructure, we have the distribution, and we have the knowledge. Like We are set up to become a publisher. We also have folks that have worked in publishing in traditional Web 2 that are now working with us on our publishing platform and structuring it and setting it up. Because in a traditional publishing structure, we have looked at all the best publishers in Web2 and how, what they have done and how they set up their organizations. And now we've thought, okay, now we have these different Web3 elements to integrate with it, including this community piece. How can we set up a more effective platform that also allows our community to help 
you know, contribute to these games and in, in, in a meaningful way and give value to the builders. Um, so by partnering with us, you you're one of a couple right now. We plan to add. We're actually announcing five games. Uh, this little bonus game that the contract was signed in the nick of time uh, that we're really excited to dig into. But uh, we probably will sign on a couple more games this year. I have I have talked with everyone. Um, I. I have a team, you know, I don't come from gaming, but everybody around me does. I've hired out gaming experts. I come and I look at these games through a web three lens because I've been in this space for so long. And we have an entire vetting process that goes through, you know, some of the founders, some of the the product folks as to, okay, is this, is this team right for us? And we've been approached by every major publisher in the space, either to build a game on Ronin or to build an Axie game. And at this moment, it is really important that we are a studio's focus and we are not their experiment. We want to work with people that are all in on Web3. They don't necessarily have to have everything, all of their plans for Web3 down because we can offer that. That is something we bring to the table. You need to figure out your token economy. You need to figure out how you're going to leverage NFTs. And by no means do we think all Web3 games need need these pieces. You know, everything doesn't have to be done the way Axie Infinity was done, but we can help put together what that looks like from a Web3 perspective with the experts on our team. So, you know, that is that is what you get by working with us. It's it's uh, the best technology used to scale the fastest growing game in the history of Web3 and the people that made it. And we're going to concentrate on you and we're hopefully going to help distribute this to the masses. And you, I think a part of you, you asked me a, quite a few questions there. I, I love doing that. I love, I love throwing it all out there and seeing, seeing what comes back. Well, that's okay because I could ramble on. I'm a business development. I can keep going. I can talk about all these different pieces. Um, but what we look for in a development studio, it, it is that focus. We are very founder focused as well. So you'll see some of our game development studios one of them, one of the founders was the creative director at CCP, which made EVE Online for eight years. Now, why is that interesting to us? Because EVE Online is one of the biggest gaming economies in the entire world. And the experience building that is enormous. And what does it do? It shows Web2 developers, you can take Sky Mavis seriously as a partner. Additionally, we like, so I guess I'll just jump into that one real quick before I dive into all of the other ones at a later question. But uh, that company is called Directive Games. Uh, the game is called The Machines Arena. It's a 4v4 top-down shooter. Um, we are very interested in this team because they are, they are, we believe we can take care of the Web3 user base, which is why I do want to ask you some questions as to possibly why you're taking your own project multi-chain. Mm-hmm. Um, when a studio says to me they want to go multi-chain, I I drill down. Why do you want to do that? Because if you partner with us, our creators in our community, they span across every chain. In my opinion, the Web3, the small Web3 community of gamers, and to be honest, I'm not even 100% positive that the current people that are gamers in Web3 are what a future Web3 gamer is going to eventually look like. But I want those Web3 game, those future Web3 gamers within our ecosystem. And how that happens in many ways. A, it could be a smash hit game that is so freaking cool that people FOMO into it and they figure out how to use the technology 
and they dive in and all of a sudden you have this horde of Web3, Web2 users coming into Web3. But we also want to take our bet on a game that is launched as a Web2 game. So this game will be launched in the Epic Store that is working with us to add Web3 elements into the game. So they're going to be fostering this Web2 community and then hopefully figuring out a way to get that player crossover, slowly adding Web3 elements in uh, because I'm focused on getting more users into Web3 through the Ronin ecosystem. That is a a that is a something you will see across all of the different games I'll talk about is how can we be really strategic about exactly who the type of games we're bringing on and the users they will attract. Of course you have to cater to your existing community and the whales and the web three, like that has to happen, but you also have to be strategic of, can I develop an ecosystem through our Mavis hub? So we do have a publishing platform. You can play Axie there right now. You'll be able to play all of the other games through our Mavis hub. So the bigger Axie grows, the more exposure all of these other games will get to new users. And the bigger these other games grow in terms of bringing onboarding more web two users, you know, the more Axie and all of the other Axie games will get exposed to. So ideally, we have this really thoughtful ecosystem where a developer can come in and, you know, we have the analytics to do this, although it's very hard in a decentralized manner to really uh, tag a user demographic with their wallet. But there's some AI and interesting tools that we can leverage there. So if a developer comes in and they say, hey, um, I am going to launch this one type of uh, element of my game. And I want to target uh, males in Japan ages 18 to 25. We hopefully can have a database that takes, you know, it, it's a guessing database because we do not have the traditional information that Web2 does. But we have enough based on wallet activity that enables people to pinpoint different demographics and different player motiv- motivations and interests based on what they do. Uh, I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. So I know you asked me a question. I'll get to that in a second. Um, mm-hmm. There are three things that I want to want to. Again, there's a hundred things we could talk about. But I'm going to talk <laughs> about three different things. So things that I found interesting and, and curious here. Let's start with this uh, notion of Axie IP. Um, mm-hmm. So you're announcing essentially that hey, third party developers can have access to the Axie IP. I don't know what terms you're using, and maybe that's not actually that, the most interesting part here. But uh, the interesting part to me is: Are you encouraging? developers, these third-party developers, to incorporate Axie IP? And this is going to lead to a follow-up question, which is about interoperability. But mm-hmm. let's start with the IP piece first. How are you actually asking or encouraging or even requiring, perhaps, uh, third-party developers to use Axie IP? I understand the motivation for you, obviously, will drive the Axie awareness forward and potentially release, you know, smash hit games that incorporate Axia, which of course, rising tide lifts all boats for the Axia community. But how are you actually, practically speaking, doing this and and encouraging developers to incorporate Axia IP? So I want to be very clear that it is not a requirement to use Axia IP to work with us. There are many parallels that are totally different from the example that I'm about to give, but there are some underlying similarities and where I hope to get to. Um, and that is with Nintendo. So what Nintendo did with Mario, I hope to do with Axie. And now you can add in this interoperability aspect, which is really cool. So building the Axie empire. 
partnering with third-party studios, massive third-party studios, to leverage Axie IP, to leverage our guidelines. We've hired world builders. We've hired people to truly build out our, our, our world and have set guidelines of art usage and, and lore usage. And so one of our another, I guess I'm just throwing in all the different games as we talk here, but one of the other games that we have partnered with, uh, they're a group out of South Korea. The core members of this team, nearly every person on this team, comes from a group called Sunday Toes who made the smash hit Annie Pong series. That is a narrative match three. They've done 2.2 billion in revenue. They've had over 140 million downloads throughout all of their games. This team knows how to create an IP and expand it into a market to the point where it hits mass adoption. People like, um, you know, BTS is, is, or K-pop is singing about it. Uh, it, this, this group also, they were the front, some of the first, they're the first like game on Kakao and they see Sky Mavis and the Mavis hub as that initial, one of those on the ground, massive opportunities that they can be one of the first, uh, new games on, um, to access millions and millions of users. So they are taking Axie IP now and they are making an Axie narrative match three. So in a genre they are used to, but now within our lore guidelines, and this type of game enables us to expand our lore. You know, people are attracted to the Axie ecosystem that don't even play the game. I have a bunch of Axies. I don't necessarily play Axie all of the time, but I'm part of the community. And you see that throughout the community. And you need to give them different experiences because in reality, what we have built here, and you could say this applies to everything in life, is a, is a type of MMO. You know, it's not it's not one place, but it's all these different experiences that are enabled through leveraging these NFTs and these axes. And you know, what we've done this into a, a small extent with the builders program, which is more amateur developers that we've allowed to build out different type of axie experiences. And they are still leveraged using the same type of guidelines and lore, but now we've offered massive studios the ability to do this. And we have a pipeline of these massive studios. Some of the publishers I spoke of before, you know, the big ones in Web2 want to build an Axie game, but it goes back to, we want this to be every, you know, the studios, everything and have them put their all into it and not an experiment. Um, so very excited to dive in next. We do have, we, you know, what we're doing on the BD team is very data focused so we've also identified different types of game genres that Axie IP would do well in and have targeted studios that have made those types of games in the past to potentially let you know leverage Axie IP and build a similar game, but now with Web3 elements. Um, so yeah, I think that answers your question about leveraging Axie IP. Um, the interoperability side of things. Oh, yeah. Let me let me jump in on I, this one because I have a okay. very specific. So thank you for that, and that definitely does answer the Axie IP question. The, on the interoperability, inter, this is I actually have an episode coming up in the it's not cute. too distant future about interoperability, and I'm yeah. dreading it because I'm going to mispronounce the word interoperability about fifty <laughs> times. Um, but interoperability is one of those those themes that is really it's very Web three focused. It's very Web three like ethos driven, yeah. right? Um, the notion that you own your assets, your digital assets, and you can use them in other places, not just in this one walled garden. And mm -hmm. I'm hearing at least you describe somewhat the notion that you would like for these axes that you own, not just to be playable in Axie Infinity, but elsewhere too. Mm -hmm. 
first party content and you know these third party developers as well. How are you supporting that? Is this first batch of now five, not four, but five um, Genesis uh, games and developers that you're bringing into the Ronin ecosystem? Are these games interoperable? Are they designed to be played uh, across? each other, so to speak? Are they all part of the same ecosystem or are they their own individual little walled gardens? How, how are you going to drive yeah. the interoperability piece forward? It is a pipe dream. In, uh, no, sorry, pipe dream is the wrong word. That's too, too strong a <laughs> phrase. But in many, in many cases, it is a pipe dream. We say interoperability. We want it to be true. But in reality, it's really hard for, for multiple developers to actually make their assets work across their, their games. Yeah. So how are you going to do this? What is the yes. plan for driving this forward? So... In finishing off that uh, Nintendo analogy, you know, they have Mario and they have all these different games. We want to build that. But we also want an Animal Crossing and we want a Zelda and we want other smash hit games that are standalone amazing. And the idea is to become this trusted place where users go regardless of what game they want to play. And they know if they play a game within our Mavis hub, it is legitimate because it was partnered with Sky Mavis. We have had our hands in every single piece of this. Obviously, we let our developers do their own thing. We will never tell a developer what to do. I want to be very clear that each game is standalone their own game. Sky Mavis is just a partner. Um, So in terms of interoperability, back to the Nintendo analogy, and I'm a big Animal Crossing gal, uh, in Animal Crossing, there are some Mario assets. Like I can get my, one of my flowers can be one of the flowers from Mario that has a like little clam thing. Um, and in some games, we give our developers the option if they want to integrate Axie in some capacity, they can do that. Now it has to be thoughtful, but we are not forcing it upon anybody. But the technology to do that is absolutely there. Uh, there is one game. Here we go, getting into the games. There's one game that we're partnering with. Um, the studio is called Tribes. And Tribes will be leveraging... So Tribes is building a social MMO. I can get into what exactly that is later. Um, this incredible world with all of these different pieces of lore is called I- Tribesters Island of the Solas. And the founder led community at both Scopely and King at some of the largest uh, communities in all of gaming. And instead of launching NFTs to foster community uh, before the MMO is built, because it's going to take a minute, he's launching a community engagement platform where individuals can go and contribute to pieces of the game and be rewarded for it. So it goes back on the word reciprocity. But imagine if you were able to contribute to lore or character development or, you know, naming an NPC or a type of art style, how much more propensity would you feel to to this game? Like getting it out there and telling your friends about it. You feel this mass sense of belonging. And I think back to what I was saying earlier, that's what happened with an Axie. You know, people felt this mass sense of belonging. And now with tribes, and this technology is going to be available to all their games building on Ronin as a method of fostering community. Uh, you now are almost structuring the community and their skills. And you form this relationship with your community as if they kind of are your employees. But then we are also the community's employees, right? The more we give and the more we enable them to contribute based on what they're good at and what they're passionate about, the more rewarded 
we get back in turn by growing this community in a meaningful, meaningful way. And so to access this engagement platform, you can use your Axie. You can use one of the NFTs that will be um, available through Tribes, but you can use your Axie for that. And then there's potentially discussion about adding Axies into that game in particular. But every game at this moment has the option to, and that is something that we are exploring. But again, we still want standalone games. We don't have a we don't have a specific look and feel that we're going through throughout all of our games. You know, if it if we come across a you know an FPS that's bloody and gory and makes sense for some reason that it would be great in our community and they're a killer development team and that's what people want and maybe we're tapping into a new market that we don't have we would partner with them. You know, so it the the games don't need to have the certain like Axie-ish look and feel, but for the ones that do, we are allowing that sense of interoperability for sure. And we we want and, to give more usage to Axie holders. Um at, so so that that makes sense at the NFT level. I'm, I'm also curious to hear uh what about uh integrated or interoperable game economies, you know, you obviously have AXS and uh, SLP. Yes. Um, and potentially other uh, currencies uh, planned. Uh, are those also interoperable? Are you giving the option to developers to in, you know, integrate AXS or SLP if it makes sense for their games? Or are you um, also supporting them if they just want to do their own standalone economies, walled garden economies, um, which may or may not be tokenized? I mean, you know, they, they may just be free-to-play economies, right? So curious to hear how you guys are thinking about the various in-game economies for the five that you have Tell us a little bit more about whether they are or are not integrating um, AXS, SLP, or some other um, uh, tokenized economy from your ecosystem versus their own. Mm-hmm. So for the the one, to be clear, one uh, of the five is an Axie game, specifically an Axie game like built within our world. Um, the others are still debating whether or not they want to incorporate Axie in Axie or Axie elements or Axie tokens within their game. I guess the answer is just. If it makes sense, it is available for developers to utilize our uh, tokens. But each developer is allowed to, you can, just like any other blockchain, you can launch your own token on it. It'll be within our decks. Um, I do dream of a world where perhaps there's some tokens that are like wood or ore or gold that are interoperable between all of our games. But that's a conversation I'm probably not allowed to dive into based on the other games that we have on deck. So, I'm going to stop there. But we are we are thinking holistically about what this looks like because we have the genuine opportunity to build a very creative and interoperable world if we do it right and have the right partners. And we are certainly thinking that way. And that brings me nicely to the, to the next question, which is uh, how do you evaluate the teams? Uh, you've, you've alluded to some of these, these teams already with great experience, you know, the CCP guys, EVE Online, uh, they've been making the news recently. Um, the rest of that team just raised a huge amount of money from Andreessen Harvest to do their do their own thing. Uh, obviously, a, a lot of pedigree there. You've got the folks in South Korea who've done 2.2 billion um, in in you know gross revenue. So obviously, you got some heavy hitters here. Um, are you looking at Web two teams who are looking to move to Web three? Is it a case of looking at hey, ga- great game developers first who want to build in Web three, and then you guys bring the Web three experience and expertise based on what you know? Or are you looking more at 
Web3 native folks who maybe don't have as deep a pedigree in gaming, but are deeply uh, you know, ensconced, engrossed, enmeshed in the world of crypto and blockchain and, and have perhaps an ability to imagine game designs that traditional, you know, air quotes, traditional Web2 game designers perhaps don't have the ability to imagine because they're coming from a certain mindset that is not crypto native, is not Web3 native. So, or is it a mix of the two? Uh, so yeah, Web2 versus Web3 teams, how do you evaluate and uh, what criteria do you have for bringing these folks into the mix? And then I'm going to have a follow-on question, which is, what do you see this ecosystem of developers looking like in the future? But let's start first things first. Web2 teams, Web3 teams. We have to place our bets in a in a variety of, of places. We don't know what's going to be that catalyst to spur the next uh onset of web two users into web three. So we have to be really strategic about who we bring on. We are not afraid of working with web two games with existing IP and adding web three elements into that. I have a 40 page thesis I've written around uh, just exactly. I'm trying to figure out what the, what a future web three gamer is. Cause I don't think they currently exist at the moment. I think some do. I think whales will certainly have a massive part in uh, game economies moving forward, but I'm trying to figure out what those motivations are of future Web3 players, and then I'm crossing them over with motivations of existing Web2 players and figuring out what they're playing. And Nick Yee, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure if you know of him, he did this massive like breakdown of player motivations through this analysis of 200,000 gamers and grouped them into all of these different categories. And really the categories that cross over are... Uh, collectability, power, and community. And I do think MMOs, MMOs are have that player crossover that also will be interested in potentially trying out new technology. So I've been targeting a list of existing MMOs to work with and potentially add some Web3 elements into their game. And I'm not I view Web3 as a new tool, not necessarily something that solves a major problem. I think player ownership, I don't know if it's a problem right now. Of course, no one wants to spend all of their money and not be able to have assets that they own and can sell later on, but it's not a huge problem. And so I'm really trying to drill in and see what are the problems that can be solved with with Web3, uh, with some of these Web2 games, but then also taking experiments. Um, the fifth game that I now can mention, it's called Battle Bears. It's by a studio in Vietnam that they've had about 40 million downloads with this IP. They care deeply about this IP, which is why we really like them. And they want to add Web3 elements into this game. Our founder, Trung, went over to their studio and played the game for like 12 hours straight with them. <laughs> I can imagine him just, well, A, he's an amazing gamer, but B, like saying, hey, these are actually the ways that we can fit in Web3 elements. So that's a test that we certainly are looking into within our array of different games that we have here, like a team that loves their IP. How can we slowly add in Web3 elements? And there are there are way, all these different ways to add in Web3. Not just You just don't have to like launch an NFT and throw in a token. Uh, something I'm very interested in and what I think Web3 really enables and is a massive benefit to users and builders is user-generated content. So I'm definitely interested in games that 
uh, are enabling user-generated content and allowing the builders to receive royalties from players playing the experiences that they create. Uh, it kind of goes back to like modding as well. And I think that is a main um, main point of interest, which also leads back to why we're very excited about tribes um, being able to contribute to a game in a meaningful manner, whether it be you know, sending a tweet out to your network or actually helping create something substantial that you receive rewards from. Um, that's extremely interesting. We also are taking another bet on a... Um, a play on an emerging market. Uh, I think as you saw, we do we we identified South Korea as a market we want to expand Axie IP into, and that was heavily based on data. And the next emerging market we want to enter into that we don't have much exposure to is India. So India has the youngest generation of individuals throughout the entire world. It's something like 600 million Indians are under the age of 25 which is wild. And a lot of them are into gaming. They have a massive gaming population. They're a mobile first country. They are relatively blockchain friendly. Certainly the, the people in the country are blockchain curious. And it's a market that our data says we needed to tap into. So the next game that we are partnering with, I think it's the final game I'm mentioning and I can dive into, I'll do a little review of all of them after, but um, it's a group called Bold. Um, the founders of Bold have sold multi-million dollar companies before. The previous company that the founder Akshay sold, it was a martial arts gaming company uh, in Singapore. And they are taking an approach to tapping into the Indian market through a cricket game. Now, General web free users, and I would say what our current community is, I, I am not certain that they are the biggest cricket fans. I could be totally wrong, but I think they may see this as, you know, this is an interesting bet that we're playing. But the point I really hope to get across is we're tapping into an emerging market through a mobile first game that starts off as a free to play game and immediately has the opportunity to put NFTs into the game. It's a low fidelity game that can be accessed on any type of phone and stay there. And it's through a sport that is the second biggest sport in the entire world. So what does that mean? That means more wallets on Ronin that then can have this crossover between the other hyper-casual games that we have on Ronin, including our builders program games for Axie Infinity. So I personally am thrilled about uh, this next partnership with Bold. I think it may take a little bit of understanding from our current community to see why this is such a significant play. But in terms of emerging markets, we, we, we had to have this play. And it's with a really incredible founder, insane boots on the ground approach to getting he has all of the biggest cricket players involved. Um, he actually was on Shark Tank and two of the Sharks I don't know if the episode, the episode may be out by the time this was released, but two of the sharks offered him a deal, which he said no to. He is someone that is very known within just the general business ecosystem in cricket. And we believe he has the potential to take this to the masses on Ronan. So, yeah. 
So a lot of uh, interesting bats, even just across these five different companies. And I think you've done a great job of uh, uh, sprinkling them into the to the to the entire episode. So I don't know if we actually Sorry. need to do a full <laughs> run. No, this is which is great. They they've come up in context, and that's exactly how it yeah. should be. Um, so my question really is is what comes next for this third party. Uh, pool of developers. Uh, you've talked about the criteria, you've talked about the, the process, you've talked about what kinds of developers you look for. How many do you want in, in the mix? Um, how many do you have in the pipeline, if you can share that information? And what like how many is enough? I, obviously, if you have one smash hit, that would be enough. <laughs> if you have five smash hits, that'd be more than enough. Right. But what is, what is your goal in terms of onboarding you know, these developers? At some point, the level of support that you can provide, you said mm-hmm. white glove service at the very start of this episode. Mm-hmm. It, you can't do white glove service if you're onboarding thousands of people. That becomes okay. self-onboarding, which is which is a perfectly fine approach too, but it's not white glove. So how are you going to balance volume with you know quantity with quality, which is always your, your trade-off? Um, with quality and smaller numbers comes more attention, but then the risk is concentrated you're still relying on that smash hit to come from one of a very small number of developers. If you go quantity, well, then how do you control for all the things that you want to control for and take the bets that you want to take as, as Sky Mavis and, and Axie ecosystem? Yeah, and that's why we've been uh, we've been a little bit, I wouldn't say slow. It's only been a year since I've been here, but I have people on Twitter being like, where are the new games on Ronin? We've had to be really selective with who we partner with. And those partners understand where we're at as an organization. We we have traditionally been a BDC company with 250 employees. We are now making a pivot to being a BDC company, to being both a BDC company and a B2B company. So we have internally been treating that like we are setting up a business from the ground up. Granted, we have the support of a you know multi-billion dollar startup um, with all of the infrastructure and community that we can leverage there. But we have concentrated on that. That is something that has been the number one priority since I got here. We, our whole team has been in Vietnam several times. Uh, the growth, you know, the, there's there's separate sections of the Sky Mavis team. Like the core is in Vietnam. A lot of our developers and artists are there, and then some folks on the growth side are all over the world. So we've had all of these company all hands figuring out how to arrange this operating platform for five games, for ten games, for fifteen games. And for these five games, we've selected them, again, because we know that they can be good partners. And what are we doing for them in return? Uh, which is something I also want to get into. So we do invest. Um, we do invest in equity and we invest in tokens. We can set up our structure as a traditional publisher model where we give an advance and then we get a recoup based on revenues. Uh, we do give substantial Ronin grants. And one of the things which I'm so excited that we've implemented is this idea of own the app store. So we want to play chess and not checkers and understand that games don't fully, you know, may fully not want to sign on to full exclusivity with our chain. But because we are sending so many users their way and putting our back into making these games great, we need to ensure that they want to continue working with us and sending users to our ecosystem. So we have arranged for a wallet reward system. If your game comes onto Ronin, and is produced through the Mavis Hub, we will give you a percentage of the transactions within every wallet that you bring into our ecosystem for X amount of years. So if you believe in what we're doing and our approach to slowly finding and bringing on and helping build some of the best 
games that we can find and you see that long-term vision, that could be a massive stream of revenue for you as one of the first movers in our ecosystem. Um, so I don't want to put any numbers because the community will always hold us to numbers. It's like, ah, oh, more games. Um, this next batch, a lot of the, I, I believe the quality of games that we have right now is highly strategic. Um, and it's our first batch. We're going to be able to figure out what they need. Um, the next batch, I believe we, a lot of the teams that we have been talking to are not selecting the block, like the big ones are not selecting a blockchain um, for the next couple of months or even for the next year. I looked at my pipeline before, as you were asking me this question, and I've, I've spoken with 331 studios so far, some in traditional web two, web three, uh, publishers that want to make a game with us. And you know, we, although we have certain criteria, I believe that this, this, the next set, you know, it's, they are going to keep getting better and better because we know how, how to operate deeper with these games. Our first set, we have to work so, so closely with to understand their needs because then the next batch of games that we work with, we have a better understanding and maybe we've built even more tools for them to leverage. Um, so I see us adding a few more games this year. Our operating platform, we have staffed for it. Uh, we have internal capacity. We have plans. We have a whole operational department for the side of the business. It is not just here. Here's how to integrate with us. It is we have structured it as if we were a Web2 publishing company at a smaller scale. And we have certain plans as to how this will grow. Um, I would say over the next two years, you know, maybe adding a handful more uh, depending on how smooth this goes and how quick we can grow and how well these games do and the amount of funding that we have to really support them in a meaningful way. And I would say over the next, you know, in the future, <laughs> we'll say that, um, we will most likely open up Ronin for nearly everyone to develop on. However, at that point in time, if you work on Ronin, now you you can get a set of ways to operate with us that have been from the learnings of helping build, you know, 20 games or 30 games or so. So it's not just, hey, take these papers. It's like, here's a process. Here's, you know, you're not going to get the white glove treatment that we offer the studios that will be launched in the Mavis Hub, but it still is more informative than just having papers to hand over. So there definitely is a world where Ronin is more opened up for developers to develop on. However, the Mavis Hub will remain exclusive to games that we decide to partner with and put in there because we want the Mavis Hub to be like the Steam plus App Store of Web3. Uh, and we want it curated. And we, you know, it's Web3, it's still really hard getting gamers to trust it. So if we can create this central hub where they're saying, I'm going to go play on the Mavis Hub and I'm going to play a good game, that's what we want to attract. So Understanding that every game on the Mavis Hub will be significantly vetted and helped grown by Sky Mavis is important to us. So this leads <clears throat> quite nicely to the very final question I want to ask. We're coming up to time here as well, so it's perfect perfect timing, in fact. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that you're going from a uh, B2C, historical B2C company with 250 employees, really focused on B2C, making Axie Infinity great, uh, building the player base, uh, to now doing B2C and B2B. All right? So this is your classic 
Um, you called it a pivot. Uh, it's, I, I would necessarily, I mean, if you call it a pivot internally, then add I, on. I, yeah, it's I, an, I, I, I yeah. It's an extension. <laughs> but it's a big, it's a pretty big extension. And yeah. you know, it's your classic case of uh, can you walk and chew gum at the same time? Uh, mm-hmm. Silly expression because of course you can uh, walk and chew gum, but can you do B two C and B two B at the same time? So my question really here is, what does this mean for Axie Infinity uh, mm-hmm. itself? How do you go about growing? This incredible game that was, you know, I said in my intro, it's arguably the OG of Web3 Gaming. It's still the biggest game out there. It gave a lot of us developers, um, like including myself, the kick up the butt that we needed to, to take a bet, you know, and start exploring Web3, using blockchain technologies, opening up new versions of game design that are not possible in Web2, open economies, tokenized economies, lots of exciting things. And the risk, of course, for you guys is uh, Sky Mavis is that as you're focusing more and more on the publishing model, the B2B side of things, you know, the B2C and the Axie Infinity ecosystem suffers. So my question to you is, how do you plan to get back to those 2.8 million DAU that you were at peak and then even grow beyond that? How do you take Axie Infinity to the next level, not just these third-party developers that we've talked about uh, with the white glove service? Axie itself needs a white glove service. Uh, how do you support that? Yeah. So we have structured our operating platform to ensure that does not happen. And if we can get the B2B part right, Axie grows because Axie gets more exposure, like our Axie infinity itself. So that is how we're going to get there. If we can genuinely help other teams, if they're building on Axie or if they're not building on Axie, which is why we've taken this approach. If you look at Bold, which I talked about, if you looked at, if you look at uh, Team Bali, which is making the Axie narrative match three in Korea, all those types of users will get access to get access to our core Axie Infinity Axie Infinity Origins game uh, and the Axie Infinity ecosystem ourself, itself. So it really this this uh, extension to B two B is a catalyst really for growing Axie. And what we've been doing because because we've been adding on these other developers, they've made us make Axie better. They've made us build out a lore kit you know, and really dive into the lore so others can use it. They've made us have traditional, you know, art guidelines as to what can be used, what cannot to really create this cohesive ecosystem. And it's made us think about what potential other areas can we add to our core Axie to have other people also leverage just like they're doing now. So something that we're, um, uh, that we are working on is this concept of Axie Core. So it's not Axie Infinity Origins. It is all the different assets that can be leveraged throughout the Axie Infinity ecosystem. It's the Axies, it's SLP, it's AXS, it's our land, um, it's every, it's our lore and it's our art and it's all these these pieces that make the Axie Infinity world what it is. And if those pieces can be leveraged here and here. And in all of these different places, it all feeds into Axie Infinity in itself. Um, so I genuinely believe it's a that's a that's the way that we're gonna grow. And we're gonna grow by helping other people grow, which comes back to this idea of reciprocity. So virtuous flywheel. I love it. Um, I know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what the that's what this all has been based on. And I come from traditional VC. I I was investing in crypto as well, but I I love working in VC. But the way we operate over here is it's in a really meaningful and beautiful way. It enables people, uh, and it's 
it's it's different and it's special and it's unique. And I'm so excited to partner with teams that really believe in that like community ethos and that ethos of reciprocity. Well, that is a perfect place to stop. Uh, we always okay. like to stop on a positive, happy, <laughs> uh, energizing note. And uh, I can think of no better note during this entire hour that we've been together than, than that. So uh, Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. I uh, really love the insights. I love the energy. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where Ronin goes from here, Sky Mavis goes from here, Axia goes from here, and this entire ecosystem of third-party developers. One of my favorite phrases for for my team and that I kind of live by is a rising tide lifts all boats. You call it reciprocity, uh, but rising tide lifts all boats is is one of my favorite expressions. And I'm really genuinely thrilled and excited to see uh, how you guys are able to elevate um, all these other game developers that are coming into the ecosystem, uh, not just the Ronin ecosystem, but the Web3 uh, ecosystem. So thank you, Kathleen, so much for, for today. Thank you for having me. I've had a great time. I want to apologize to your listeners. I have COVID and I have a cold. So if you've gotten this far, you've, you've probably dealt with a voice that I literally never want to listen to. So um, kudos to you, Kathleen, for, for coming on with COVID. So thank you so much. And I think, no, it's been GDC, great. GDC, man. Yeah. GDC, yeah. GDC. I, I am also uh, slightly under the weather, thankfully not with COVID though. So uh, yeah, thank you, Kathleen. And I also want to say a big thank you as always to all of our listeners. Uh, we'll be back next week as always with more interviews, more insights, and more analysis from the weird and wonderful world of Web3 and gaming more broadly. So until next time, friends, stay crypto curious and feel free to send questions, guest recommendations, and comments to me. My email is nico at novic.co and you can find me on Twitter at NicoTheFin. DMs are always open. Thank you again. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, level up your insights with our premium research platform, Novic Pro, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.